stay, let's stand up for the reading of the word. I want to read just part of what uh, Jesus uh, gave to us in his prophetic discourse on the, the um, Matthew 24. So let's put it right up here. There it is. Can you read it? There we go. That's easier. So let's look at what Jesus said. It says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, you, you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. That had the import, as if I said to you, we were all downtown. And I said to you, not one skyscraper is going to be remaining in a few short years. They will all be down to the ground. How would that affect you? Right? It affected them even more than that. So watch. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and will it be the sign of your coming? The end of the age. These things meaning the temple. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that nobody, what? Deceives you. For many will come in my name. Whose name will they come in? I'm here in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. All right? Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and they will deceive many. Then, verse 11, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. For false Christs and false prophets will rise, and they will show, look, great signs. They won't just be talking. It will look like they're performing signs and wonders. So that makes the deception all the more convincing. If possible, they will deceive even the elect. That's you. That's me. See, said Jesus, I've told you beforehand. In other words, consider yourselves forewarned. That's what he's saying. Now keep in mind, they went to him and they said, you said the temple's coming down. When will these things be? And then they said, basically, and while we're at it, what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? So they asked two questions, one short range, one long range. Okay? Jesus proceeds in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13 to answer those two questions. When's the temple coming down and what's the sign of your coming? Lord, thank you for your word tonight. We pray your blessing on it. Lord, make us a wise people, a discerning people, an alert people, um, a discriminating people when it comes to being careful what we accept as coming from you. Help us to be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, to protect our own souls and the souls of our loved ones. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Bless you. You can be seated. Let me just deal with this tonight. Um, I'm calling this a balancing word on prophets and on prophecy. And I know I talk about this fairly often. But there's a reason I talk about this very often. Did you know that in a time of spiritual decline, false prophets always multiply? 
I'm going to say that again. In a time of spiritual decline, false prophets always multiply. Take Elijah. In Elijah's day, he went to Ahab, and he told Ahab, it's not going to rain till I say so. Now, you better have a word from God if you say that. Okay? He goes to, Eli- to Ahab and says that. Why did God raise up Elijah? Because Israel was in steep spiritual decline. All right? They were worshiping idols. They were involved in all kinds of perversions. Uh, many, many things. So watch this. We know from the Bible when Elijah did that, said that to him and walked away, there were 450 false prophets of Baal and 400 false prophets of Asherah. So there were 850 false prophets up against one real one. So who carried the majority? False prophets. 850 false voices speaking into Israel words they claim to be from God and one real deal. And the real deal was not in any way appreciated, loved, or received. They loved the false ones because they always tickled their ears. Then you move forward a couple of decades, still in the reign of Ahab, you've got 400 more false prophets and only one real one. His name was Micaiah. Micaiah. And Ahab hated Micaiah and loved the 400 deceivers. So in a time of steep spiritual decline, false prophets multiply. It's a fact of life. It's one of the indicators that you're in spiritual decline if false prophets multiply. Now I jump forward to today. And by the way, that principle is true all through the Bible. Jeremiah's main enemies were false prophets. Same for Isaiah, same for Ezekiel, same for Daniel. False prophets were everywhere. Every time when there was spiritual decline. So here we are in America, and are we in spiritual decline? I mean, major spiritual decline? I mean, do you wake up sometimes and feel like you're in a lunatic asylum? Right? Because wrong is right, right is wrong, good is bad, bad is good. True is false, and false is true. Everything is upside down, topsy-turvy. So we're in steep spiritual decline. Now, therefore, we're also seeing a multiplication of false prophets everywhere. Especially, they've made their home in social media. I don't care what platform you go on, TikTok, uh, 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 YouTube, uh, Instagram, wherever you go, false prophets are there to bring their words. And so we need to talk about prophecy and prophets. Because why does it matter? Because if they're false, they're telling you something is from God when it's not, and it will always and inevitably lead you into something not good. If it's false, it can't lead to a good place. So false, who you listen to, who you and I allow to speak into our lives, is really important. Okay? Very much so. So Jesus said there's going to be be, um, rampant deception 
in the last days, before I return. And it's going to come by way of false Christ, false prophets, and false teachers. Three times in Matthew 24 alone, he repeats his warning about false Christ, false prophets, false teachers. Of all the signs of his return, he only gives each sign once. But deception, he warns of three times. So this was most on his mind. The first sign out of his mouth was watch out for deception. I've told you beforehand, watch out. Now, if Jesus says it once, that's good for me. Three times, I get it, right? In Sermon on the Mount, way earlier on at the beginning of his ministry, he had the same warning, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but really they are vicious wolves. He said it again. This is Jesus, the greatest prophet that ever lived, and he's warning of false prophets. Every time you turn around, he's warning of them. Um, They will infiltrate the church, Jesus said, and uh, all through the New Testament, we're warned of them. Did you know that there's 27 books in the New Testament 26 of them warn of false prophets, false teachers, and false Christs. 26 of 27. The only book that doesn't is the book of Philemon. That's it. The rest of them, all, somewhere in them, warn of false teachers, false prophets. Why was there such an emphasis on this in the New Testament? Here's why. Because they're there. They're everywhere. And they're a danger. God's not going to warn me about something that's not dangerous. So God's warning us. And, and should we take it seriously? If in 26 of our 27 New Testament books, there's warning of false prophets, teachers, and Christ? I mean, hello, right? I get it, Lord. I can't read the Bible without running across these warnings. Now, we are days away from the new year of 2024, and self-professing prophets, I'm telling you now, are going to come out of the woodwork to give their word for the year. Okay? They're going to say, God told me this about the new year. Now, let me say up front, I believe there's a real gift of prophecy, and that's why there's a fake. That's why there's a counterfeit. Right? So, don't get me wrong. I know the real thing is there, but the false thing is so prevalent now that as a shepherd of sheep, I feel moved of the Spirit of God to speak to it. They're going to come out of the woodwork. They're going to give predictions, warnings, promises, other words. They're going to claim to come straight from the mouth of God. You're going to hear them everywhere. And it's not that somebody can't be right on. They can. But experience teaches me most of the ones I've seen won't be right on. I'm going to be bold tonight. Now, I'm not going to name names. You've got a brain. You can figure it out on your own. But I'm going to tell you they're everywhere on social media. Everywhere. Okay? So I want to bring a balancing word on prophecy by first noting, let's just note that there is an ever-present danger of false teachers and false prophets. 
there's an ever-present danger, or we wouldn't be getting warned over and over again by God. Can I have an amen? amen? Just before his departure from Ephesus, where Paul had been for two years, teaching the saints, leading them, Paul says to the elders of the Ephesus church, For I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, and they won't spare the flock. Also from among yourselves. Notice he's, he's telling them where they're going to come from. Not from the outside coming in, but from the inside. Infiltration. From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking misleading things to draw away the disciples after themselves. False prophets don't only prophesy falsely, they teach falsely. It matters. It matters. Note how Paul stresses that the false prophets and teachers would come from among yourselves, from within the church, people that we know, that we recognize, names that are out there, that are instantly recognizable, names that are semi or fully famous in the body of Christ. And I'm not wanting you to be paranoid. I'm wanting you to be wise and discerning. They have huge followings on social media. Tens of thousands of people listen to what they prophesy. But I've listened to so many of them. And I'm going to tell you a lot of them, they prophesy things. When it's all said and done, you walk away going, what'd they say? What? Where'd they get that? That's not in the word. So, so many of the false prophets are going to be homegrown from right amongst us. Brother so-and-so. Sister so-and-so. Paul warned the Corinthian church of the same danger. He said in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 11, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Into what, everybody? Have you seen people walking around calling themselves apostles lately? I have. Men and women. I don't know how that works, apostolette. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep things light. Y'all are looking real serious. You should, this is serious. Okay, now notice what he says. I'm just reading the Bible to you. No wonder for Satan himself, who? Satan, what does he do? Transforms himself into an angel of light. Okay, therefore it is no great thing if his who? ministers, whose ministers? Satan's, transform themselves, give you the appearance of being ministers of righteousness when they're not. Am I just reading the Bible? I'm just reading your Bible. Same Bible that got you saved. I'm just reading it. And when will this be the most prevalent? Just before Jesus comes back. Jesus, they said, what are the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? Here it is, massive pandemic deception that will infiltrate the church. That will target God's people. And it will even deceive the elect. Then we find Paul prophetically warning his son in the faith, Timothy, regarding last day's deception by false prophets and teachers. Listen to what Paul says. You may as well know this too, Timothy. In the last days, it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. 
What's going to make it difficult? False prophets and teachers. Because look what he goes on to say. False prophets and teachers will work their way into people's what? Homes. How do they get there these days? TV, radio, social media, cell phones. They, we, they, the, the Greek word is worm their way in. Please track with me, church. This is so important because this is happening on steroids in our day. Okay? What will they do? They will worm their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable who? Who did Satan target in Eden? The woman. Why? Because the woman's more compassionate, more sensitive, more gentle, and more easy to gain the confidence of because of their compassionate nature. So who do they target? They target what Satan targeted in Eden, the women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings. I want novel stuff. I want the new revelation. I want the latest twist on God's word. Tell me something new. I'm bored with the old stuff. I had somebody accuse me a week ago of my teaching being, uh, uh, what they say, stale or Something like uh, something like that. Um, it, nobody here. They were. It was online, and I said, "Really? So teaching the Word of God is stale?" What they're basically saying is, uh, "I want something new. I want something uh, novel. I'm tired of the old stuff." Well, let me tell you about me. First of all, thank you for the compliment, because if you come here, you're always going to get the old stuff, because the old is always new, right? Cindy and I got the biggest kick out of it. I said, look at this. So anyway, um, these teachers oppose the truth. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. And then Paul again warns Timothy. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. What are they going to turn away from? The true faith. And they will follow what, everybody? Deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. So demons teach. Did you catch that? Demons have minds. They, they enunciate. They say things. They teach concepts and false belief systems. That's where the cults come from. All the cults come from demons teaching falsely. All right? Who brings these teachings from demons? False prophets and false teachers. So summing it up, false prophets and false teachers will infiltrate the church. They will come disguised as genuine ministers, even angels of light. They will teach false doctrine and prophesy false things. They will be convincing and unfortunately often successful. Now that's what I'm just reading to you out of the Bible. That stale stuff. Okay, now scripture shows that, let's just go back a little bit in Bible history, the designation of prophet, the first prophet we find in the Bible in the Old Testament was Abraham. It says in Genesis 27, God warned King Abimelech after he had taken Sarah, Abraham's wife, into his own house. 
He said, quote, now therefore, he said this to, to Abimelech, restore the man's wife, for he is a what, everybody? Prophet. And he will pray for you and you shall live. Now the word prophet here means spokesman and it includes somebody who mediates between God and man. You remember Abraham stood between God and Sodom and Gomorrah and said, Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God said, no, right down to 10 people. I will not do it. So Abraham mediated. He was a foreshadowing of Christ. He stood between God and the object of God's wrath and he mediated, and because he did, Lot and his family were saved. Okay? So that's Abraham. A few hundred years later, you come down to Moses, and it says in Deuteronomy 34.10, there has never again been a prophet in Israel like Moses. And what did Moses do? He was a spokesman. He spoke for God, but he also mediated. How many times did he stand in the gap and pray that God would not vaporize the children of Israel, right? And, and so he stood between, he mediated. He was also a type of Christ because right now we've got an intercessor on the right hand of the Father always praying for you and me. He mediates for us. And how many of you know the prayers of Jesus has, have saved your skin and mine over and over again, right? So then as Old Testament scripture unfolds, we see God raising up prophets, official, lifelong prophets. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel were the four major prophets. Then there were 12 minor prophets. What did they do? Almost invariably, they warned God's people to repent and get right with God. They were not welcome faces. They were persecuted. We know that Isaiah was sawn in half. That's the way he met his end. This beautiful, you read Isaiah, this majestic language that flowed from him. Uh, this, this amazing prophet, messianic prophet, gave us so many, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 61. I mean, all the prophets of the coming Christ. Isaiah 9, they sawed him in half. That's how he met his end. Um, and he's mentioned in Hebrews 11, as being sawn in half. These Old Testament prophets are mentioned in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Listen, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So in the Old Testament, God's will was revealed through his prophets. In the New Testament, Jesus is the man. Did you get that? It's not that there's no more prophets. I go back, listen, some of the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets haven't been fulfilled yet. They will be, because almost all the rest of them have been. But the main prophet to whom we are submitted in the New Testament is the Lord Jesus. That's what Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says. So they warn God's people, and they also deliver to Israel and to the world inerrant, unfailing, perfect Old Testament Bible. The whole Old Testament was written by Old Testament prophets. Amen. Paul says of their writings, every scripture is inspired by God. He was looking back to the Old Testament. 
because the New Testament wasn't written yet. So he says, every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, uh, 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 showing mistakes, correcting, and training character. Now he's looking back at the Old Testament. It was inerrant, it was perfect, and it's certainly not anything we should discard in our time. No, not at all. Now the way they were inspired matters, because this is bringing us down to New Testament prophecy. How were the Old Testament prophets inspired? How did they write? It says in 2 Peter 1.21, prophecy never had its origin in the human will. They didn't sit and think this stuff up. But prophets, through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bore them along like a gentle breeze blows a sailboat across the water. They were moved by the Holy Spirit and they wrote what he said. That's how real prophecy came and how it still comes. All right? Moved by the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Their predictions never failed. Not one prophet ever said, oops, I missed it. Oh, well, we're going to miss it sometimes. Can you imagine Isaiah saying, sorry, man, I shouldn't have written chapter 10. I just missed it that time. No, they never missed it. Everybody say with me, they never missed it. Are you getting that? They never missed it, right? And it's important to note that Jesus didn't come to do away with Old Testament prophets. He didn't come to do away with it. Jesus said, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill what they said. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law. And that's what the prophets wrote till every bit of it is fulfilled. There's not one punctuation mark in Hebrew or Greek uttered by prophets that is not going to be fulfilled. Amen? It's inerrant. It's perfect. You're not going to have to go back and do what the Mormons have done or the Jehovah's Witnesses have done. And, and revise old prophecies because they all failed. No, never. Now, as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see the gift of prophecy is still alive and well. It didn't go away. Jesus himself, greatest prophet that ever lived, predicted things both near and far with 100% accuracy. Jesus nailed it perfecto every time. And at least three of his apostles prophesied of future events in their epistles. John, Paul, and Peter all prophesied. Book of Revelation is 22 chapters of, of prophecy. Okay? Jude, who was not one of the original 12, also pr predicted future events. He was Jesus' half-brother. But he prophesied in that little one-chapter book of Jude. He prophesied. Now, once the church was established, we find Paul the apostle writing to the Corinthian church about the gift of prophecy. Now, this is where it's coming down to us today. It was operating among them, and he wrote to them balancing words on the gift of prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 12, you know this more than likely, he lists nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of them is prophecy. Here it is. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the one of everybody so that everybody gets something out of it. And to one is given, what, everyone? Yeah. 
prophecy. Not to everybody, to one, or to, to some, not to everybody. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all prophesy? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. The gifts are divvied out as the Spirit of God wills. And all of you got something from the Spirit of God. All of you are gifted with something from the Spirit of God. Not one of you is not gifted if you're a child of God. Okay? Now, in the New Testament, the word prophecy is found 28 times. And there are two kinds of prophecy. Listen carefully now. Two kinds in the New Testament. We're out of the Old Testament now. Here we are in the New. Forthtelling. Forthtelling. The word prophetos, prophetia, means first to tell forth. Forthtelling. Not future, forthtelling. It means to tell forth God's will through his word. We could easily say, I prophesy every Sunday. This kind of prophecy. Because I read the word and I tell forth the word. And it should edify, exhort, and comfort you. If it didn't, then I didn't give the word good. Are y'all with me? You tracking with me? A lot of information, I know, but we got to get this now. Because I'm coming up to... False stuff. So, it is anointed. Forthtelling is anointed, inspired preaching for the edification of the saints. That's a form of prophecy. Okay? Paul speaks of this kind of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, 1. He says, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Is he talking about predicting future events here? No. No. It's clear he's talking about the forthtelling kind of prophecy, uh, as he describes its effect on the listeners. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men or to the people of God. So the forthtelling kind will always edify you, exhort you, or comfort you. Okay? You walk away from a good message going, ah, I needed that, right? Praise the Lord. That just lifted my spirits. That encouraged me in God. That exhorted me to get something right in my life that ain't been right. But in a good way where I don't feel condemned, I feel encouraged. Are you with me? That's a form of prophesying. Then there's foretelling. Now here's where it gets dicey. That's real, but you better have a word from God if you're going to foretell the future. Because that's another form of prophecy. You're going to foretell a future event before it happens. Okay? This kind of prophecy is what the Old Testament prophets routinely did. Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, He's going to walk around. He's going to open blind eyes and deaf ears. I mean, specific future event prophecies. He's going to be born of a virgin. All of these things. Over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the coming of Jesus, including of his life and death, and he perfectly fulfilled every one of them. And they were made centuries before he came. 
So if you or I believe that God has given us a future prediction, then what you're saying is, God has shown me that something has co- is coming before it arrives. Before it comes, here's what's coming. God has told me this. Now, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians about prophecy saying this. Don't quench the spirit. Don't utterly reject prophecies. But watch this now, everybody. Examine, read it with me. Examine everything. Did he tell the people of God in the Old Testament to examine what Isaiah said? Or Jeremiah? Or Ezekiel? Never. Because what they spoke was undeniably, unquestionably inerrant. But now we've got a switch. We've got a little bit of a change here. Because now to his people, God says, don't reject prophecy, but at the same time, examine it. Examine it. Put on your discernment cap. Test it. And then what does he say? Hold firmly to what is good. What does that imply? Some of it may not be good. Are y'all with me? Am I reading the Bible? Uh, In another version, don't stifle those who have a word, an inspired message from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what's good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. Did it say that? Who's that talking to? Us. Do you do it? Is the church at large doing this? Are they doing this? No, because you better not speak about the Lord's anointed and do his prophets no harm. So we're told you better not judge the Lord's anointed because then you're sinning against God. That was a word to Israel. That is not a a new covenant word to us. He tells us right here, don't be gullible when it comes to prophecy check out everything and only keep what's good am i reading that right now look at first john is even stronger listen to what john says dear friends don't believe everyone (laughs) don't believe everyone don't believe everyone but he goes on to say who claims to speak by the Spirit. I'm not to believe everyone who says, I've got a word from God. In other words, I'm I'm to have a level, I'm I'm careful to say skepticism, but I'm to have a level of, of, okay, I hear what you're claiming is from God, but I'm going to run it through the sifter to protect my own soul. Because if it's false, it's going to damage me if I accept it. You must, John says, you must test them to see if the spirit they have, come, they have comes from God. Why? For there are many false prophets in the world. How many? Many. And when you're in spiritual decline, they multiply. Now the word test here means you better examine it, prove it, scrutinize it, recognize as genuine or not after examination to approve it or deem it worthy so god has laid on you and me as god's sheep the responsibility of sifting what we hear 
I'm going to ask you again, is the church at large doing this? Is that your observation? It's not my observation. Because all kinds of people are going out all the time saying, this is straight from God. But nobody's testing it. And you know what? If it turns out to be a false prediction, those that prophesied falsely are counting on the church having a really short memory because they always come back around again. Is this true? Am I right or wrong? I mean, seriously, can we just get real here? Because it's for our, the good of our own soul. Would you, would you drink strychnine? No. But why do we drink things that claim to be from God without even testing it? I know what you're thinking. Well, how do I do it, Brother Jeff? Let me just give it to you quickly. Here's how you do it. First, is it in line with God's word and God's character? That's the number one immediate test. Is it in line with God's word and is it line up with God's character? How will you know if it's in God's word or not or part of God's character or not if you're never reading your Bible? You will never know if you're not reading your Bible. The more I read my Bible, the more I can discern. Does it agree with or contradict the teachings of Scripture morally regarding finances or financial principles? Theologically, is it telling you the truth about God? How about regarding the way God guides us? Is it line up with that? How about the Christology of it? Is it, is it rightly presenting Christ? Is it, is it according to the way that God operates in the Word? And the more you know the Word, the more you're going to recognize how God operates. If you don't ever read the Word, you're not going to know. I mean, I think we need to be in the Word these days to save our skin from all the deception that's out there. Second, does it resemble the way God speaks in the Bible? Does it resemble? The more you read the prophets, just go through the Bible and you see God speaking over and over again. You begin to learn the cadence of how God speaks, how he speaks, uh, uh, his way, what he emphasizes, what he doesn't, how he comes over, how he doesn't. You begin to recognize it. You, you discern it. It becomes familiar to you, the way God talks. So that when you hear some of these prophecies, you go, that's not the way God talks. Is it clear? Is it concise? Is it sound? Is it direct? Third, if it's predictive prophecy, and that's what you're going to be hearing as the new year comes around, if it's predictive prophecy, is it specific? Is it clear? Is it to the point? Or is it super general, nonspecific, unclear, cloudy, wishy-washy, saying all kinds of things without saying anything? Is it a confusing word salad that in the end can't be verified or validated because it wasn't specific? It was just much ado about nothing, all storm and fury. You know, here comes the word of the Lord, and then they go on and on and on. And then at the end you go, what, what, what? Oh, but I'm real impressed because it came over real dramatically. No, God is specific. He's clear. If it's predictive, he's going to tell you how it's predictive. Yeah. 
And he's going to be specific where you are going to know whether or not it came to pass. Again, the real thing is out there. But remember, it's going to be in the minority. Because we're in spiritual decline. Fourth, take time to pray over what you heard. Take time to walk away and pray over what you heard. Especially if it was to you. If it was to you, go pray and give time for that word to settle. Does it set right with your spirit? Does it give you peace? Do others that you know who are spiritual people, can they amen it? Give it time. Because God will never give you a word saying, now hop to it and go, jump, move to Africa tomorrow. Never. It says in the Bible that God's wisdom is easy to entreat. God doesn't mind scrutiny. False prophecies do. Does it glorify God or people? There's false prophets out there. I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm not going to name them, but the ones that I know about. And every time they come out with a prophecy, the whole thing about whatever they said revolves around was so-and-so accurate. Was so, or, or so-and-so was accurate. They're the most accurate prophet I know out there. Well, to me, that's a oxymoron. Because if it's from God, it should be accurate. <laughs> and finally, in prayer, just say, God, Holy Spirit, was this you? You have no need that any man teach you. But the same anointing you've received teaches you all things and brings to your memory, all things that he said. So you've got a teacher inside of you, the Holy Spirit. And he will tell you, if you give him time, if what you've heard is from him or not. So let's stand together, can we? Say, Pastor Jeff, you feel intense about this. Yes, I do. (laughs) Because I don't want my Heavenly Father misrepresented. Um. Because, boy, the world is watching. And these days, the world, and I'm talking about networks, I'm talking about reporters, I'm talking about atheists, skeptics, they tune in to these prophecies. And they track them. And if they don't come to pass, it gives them a chance to invalidate God and attack the church. How many of you needed this tonight, or at least you're glad I went over it a little bit? Yeah? Okay. So are you going to test things from now on? Thus says the Lord. Now your your antenna need to go up right then. Okay? And run it through the Bible you know. Father, thank you for the spirit of truth that, that accurately prophesies. But Lord, thank you for discernment to recognize what's not of you. But Lord, we know that many false prophets have gone out into the world and they target God's people. False teachers, false prophets, even false messiahs. Lord, we want to be protected. We want our families to be protected, our children, our spouses. We don't want a false subject to a false spirit. Help us to be discerning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.